to Playback, a weekly Variety podcast. I'm your host, Chris Tapley, awards editor at Variety, and on today's show, we're reporting from the Telluride Film Festival, where some of the fall's most anticipated new films have screened. A little bit later, I'll be talking to the star of one of those films, Arrival's Amy Adams. So stick around. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we are in Telluride, and I am here today with Variety's chief film critic, Peter DeBruge. And we've been watching movies all weekend. How you doing? Great. This is the film festival, as far as I'm concerned. I missed the last two because I was living in Paris, working from there for Variety. When yeah, I came but back, you were living in Paris, so it I know, out. seriously. <laughs> it's the thing I missed most about the States. I'm so glad that I'm at Telluride. Venice happens at the same time. It's a great film festival, but uh, the thing that makes this festival so special is that it's small. It happens over Labor Day weekend. It's really uh, uh, closely curated. It's a very... Uh, you know, small crop of films, all of them excellent. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I'm going to love all of them, but uh, compared to any other fi- film festival, there are a lot of just, you know, stinkers mixed in. Mm-hmm. Toronto next week, which is going to be 80% garbage. You know, it's <laughs> like... Um, well, that's what happens when you have that volume. Yeah, and Telluride is the cream of the crop. It mm-hmm. shows here early, and uh, so we've kind of gotten a head start on the best movies of the rest of the year. Absolutely, and you mentioned Venice. It, uh, a couple of movies came from Venice to Telluride this year. It's a incredible trip to make i mean those people you know damien chazelle with la la land and emma stone they're just tired as you would be um few filmmakers do it this is the first uh, year that i've driven out here so it's like oh, I, yeah. I feel as like tired jet lagged or whatever as they must but uh, but it's worth the trip for them for you know a lot of reasons and this film festival insists that every film they show have someone representing it so mm-hmm. uh, you know that can be challenging for movies that are at both festivals it's uh, la la land uh, it's a Arrival this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think. And Denis uh, Villeneuve is, is I understand, he's very just crushed that he couldn't be here because he's filming Blade Runner. Right, right. Which is why Ryan Gosling isn't here as well. And uh, Denis loves coming here, and he couldn't make it this time. But let's talk about La La Land, though. Sure. Since we're, since yeah. we're on the, the subject of these movies. That movie kind of kicked off the festival, you could say. And yeah. it's the first time in the four years that I've been coming here that uh, you know a kickoff film is not one that I had to rush back to review because it had just opened Venice a couple of days earlier. But, you know, what a fun, lively, really energetic, you know, swoony kind of, or just swoon of a movie, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, to, to energize everybody who's here. You know, it's like... Uh, this festival, any film festival, can be full of these kind of heavy, kind of downer movies. And this is just, you know, uh, it's a love letter to L.A., but it's mm-hmm. also, you know, just a really great contemporary romance. With just brilliant themes, I find, because <clears throat> I've said this in what I've written about the film, but it really kind of grabs a hold of uh, you and says, hey, you can shake off pragmatism, you can shake off stability, and you can still dream. And I think that's a really, uh, for me, potent theme and and one that just plays itself out in kind of expressionistic ways in the film. People have compared it to New York, New York a lot. They're both kind of expressionistic, you know, uh, displays. But La La Land is so much its own thing. You know, it's it's uh, Damien Chazelle, as we say, uh, director of Whiplash, and, you know, ambitious as hell. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that's... It, it, it reminded me a little bit of Birdman, which is another movie that 
played here went on to win Best Picture. You know, in, in, in terms of this sense, not just that you have these kind of, you know, long sequence shots, but it's like um, the uh, the idea that you just have this kind of ambition going into the conception of it. Mm-hmm. But I like what you say about it kind of like being a movie about about dreamers and what, because that's what Los Angeles is. It's mm-hmm. kind of like where the people who, you know, kind of believe in luck and their own chance in, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, uh, of, of expressing themselves creatively, whether that's as an actress, as a musician, as a mm-hmm. writer, uh, you know, as film <laughs> uh, critics or journalists, know, uh, journalists. Sure, yeah. you know, it's like uh, the end uh, and it can be a very unforgiving place to just the volume of people who come in, you know, searching those things. So mm-hmm. it's like you can, anyone who has lived in Los Angeles can identify with what these two characters are going through. And the balancing act that sort of um, trying to decide between the progress you're making toward your dreams and investing in a kind of a personal life, a relationship, anything like that, and the degree to which the latter can can actually give you the confidence to achieve your dreams and how that plays out ultimately on whether the couple can stay together. I mean, all yeah. of these things, I think, are so intrinsic to, you know, the L.A. experience. Let's jump into Moonlight, which you, just before we started here, said you felt was the f- film of the festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's absolutely my feeling in the yeah. sense that uh, the the reason I feel like, you know, Moonlight is such a discovery here is because Telluride is a festival. When you arrive here, you don't know what the lineup's going to be. Mm-hmm. You trust the programmers here. Julie Hunsinger, you know, is leads a team that really go out of their way to find, you know, things kind of in the weeds, you know. And mm-hmm. um, the uh, so yes, we're hoping for you know the next Argo, the next you know Birdman Best Picture winner. But uh, it's these things that maybe may not be on any other festivals lineup or or may not have been on our radar that uh, are the best surprises and mm-hmm. so moonlight is that here in the sense of you know it's like i i did admired barry jenkins first movie medicine for melancholy mm-hmm. uh as a, a movie that takes black characters and uh and looks at them and in, in a in a sense that's very realistic it's not you know it's not a it, it's not a genre film. It's not kind of a sitcom. It's not phony. I mean, he's dealing with kind of like the intellectual side of the black experience in that mm-hmm. movie. And here it's present as well. This is the portrait of a, of a young man over three stages in his life um, who's grappling with his sexuality, grappling with his relationship to his community, to uh, the his broken mother. home he comes from. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it's every bit is intellectual, but all of that is put into subtext. It informs the characters instead of kind of like kind of spilling from their mouths you know medicine for melancholy is almost too talkative you know too gabby uh and here it's uh you can tell that jenkins is uh thought about all these things thought about what it means in the black community to sort of have absentee fathers what it means for the community to kind of rise up and supply kind of a surrogate family around Mm -hmm. someone the way Mm -hmm. that he's kind of half adopted by the man who's selling crack to his mom. It's, I mean, a powerful kind of yeah. <laughs> irony there, you know? Um, and of course, you know, the DL down low experience of trying to come out or, or identify whether that's what you are in a, in an environment that, you know, is so macho and so intolerant of that, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. um, all of those things are there without, you know, with the, the substance of the movie is just this 
this kid's story, you yeah. know, and um, I, I thought it was incredible the way that it was, um, you know, to me, it's uh, it's what I admired about Boyhood done better in right. the sense of it. Um, it's not that it's the same actor over these number of years. In mm-hmm. fact, I think the three actors almost don't resemble. Well, one I, I, I want to jump in here because regarding the three actors, I think one of the most amazing things that Barry Jenkins is able to accomplish here is that you feel the spirit of that character in every single one, each of those three actors. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's hard to do. Yeah, because they they obviously look different. They're they're completely different actors, but they exhibit the same quietude that the character has from from stage to stage, and it, it's just palpable. And 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 each actor is amazing. Yeah. Would, yeah. Do you have a favorite? Gosh, I don't know. The um, I think that I so connected with the film from the beginning that mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I was looking to the other two to kind of be that you know that that good you know Mm -hmm. or that kid you know grown up but you're right i mean to me this is a movie about a character who feels profoundly alone in you know in his own life you know and he's reaching out for any sort of connection to parents who are that are not there distracted uh you know to friends who bully him to Mm -hmm. potentially any sort of you know lover or sexual partner you know it's like the uh and that carries across the the three chapters and i think the third chapter which i don't want to say too much about you know where he's roughly 26 years old um he's uh it's a real surprise to see what's kind of transpired in the 10 years since the Mm -hmm. the second one and uh and yet you recognize that you know even though he kind of wears almost as a mask, you know, kind of this new identity that he's created for himself. He's still this lonely little boy looking for, I don't know, looking for some other person in this world that, you know, yeah. uh, that connects with him. Which and, is which is why uh, I, I think that closing shot is pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, well, let's move on from there, though, because we could we could talk about each of these movies for so long. Sully was a big coming out here with Tom Hanks and Clint Eastwood here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you had a chance to see that? Yeah, Sully's great. Sully opens in a week. You know, it's like, so it's it's almost funny for anyone, you know, at Telluride to, to be running out to see it. And yet it's, you know, a really <laughs> yeah. terrific uh, film. I mean, it's like Tom Hanks just makes it look easy. Yeah. You know, it's like he's so good, and yet it, like he slips into these roles so naturally that uh, I mean, like uh, I would I would fly a plane with Tom Hanks, you know, <laughs> as the pilot. Um, it, it's like you know he inspires that kind of confidence, and that's what you know Sully did yeah. in real life. You know, as as someone who doesn't fly too well lately, that was a gripping movie for me. <laughs> uh, in fact, it gave me back to back nightmares. Well, like I joke that it's like six plane crashes for the price of one. Cause they like, they I mean, showing it's, it. yeah. it's like a 208 uh, second kind of incident mm-hmm. that, you know, they, but they find a kind of creative way to, by beginning after the incident has happened, you know, right. to, to, to feature the flashbacks and replays and all this kind of the stuff. The structure right? of the film is, is very interesting for that. Yeah. Bleed for this with Miles Teller as Vinnie Pazienza, the boxer. I mean, I think Miles is a great actor. Whiplash was for me so far the role of his career. I mean, this is one where he gives everything, but for me, it's actually Aaron Eckhart who has not a lot to do in Sully, who is the you know the actor who really you know surprised me and bleed mm-hmm. for this? He plays the manager, 
and he's almost unrecognizable. He's like, you know, he's made himself look as though he's balding. He's put mm-hmm. on a ton of weight mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, playing this alcoholic schlub who, you know, trained Tyson and is now, you know, they're uh, uh, trying to resuscitate uh, the Pazienza's career. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he's terrific, you know, it's like, um, and Ben Younger, who I think is, a, is a, a director who, you know, we all thought had a ton of promise back at boiler room. It's like, is this is kind of a comeback for him too? I think, you know? Yeah. It's a movie that's, I, I think it's has familiar narrative strokes. It's, it's, it has conventions, but I think he, he works hard to break it from convention. I, I think the editing in particular was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It's the way it kind of propels the story forward in interesting ways. What surprised me maybe about this movie is that, like, even though Martin Scorsese is a producer on it, mm-hmm. it owes less to Raging Bull than it does to The Fighter. I mean, yeah. this is like a post-David O. Russell, you know, the the kind of weird, quirky portrait of a family, you know, and everybody's kind of talking on top of each other and crazy. You know, it's like, it reminds me of all those weird sisters in The Fighter, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, and uh the, and I like that liveliness of the movie. But in, in a way, it's just another boxing movie you know, with some great performances in it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you got to interview Isabel Huppert up here. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> thanks for mentioning it, because, like, uh, uh, Huppert is, for me, the, the you know, best actress living. You know, it's like uh, she, she just is fearless and uh, takes on these incredible roles and has a couple movies coming out this fall, mm-hmm. uh, Things to Come, which is here in the festival, mm-hmm. and Elle, which I think it's kind of a, a crime that they haven't... Uh, you know, they didn't decide to invite, you know, especially since she's here and because they brought this movie Una, which, you know, it's not that they're afraid of prickly material. In Elle, she plays a woman who's raped and who has a really unexpected reaction to the situation. Yeah. And um, uh, and it really engages with that subject in a way that I was kind of afraid of before I'd seen it. And yeah. the movie's smart. But uh, but Huber is amazing. And, uh, and getting to talk with her here, which, you know, I'll get to, to write up for a variety down the road was great because I've just admired the fact that she uh, doesn't, you know, she's not skittish about going there in movies. And I mm-hmm. think maybe what I learned talking with her is that um, the, for her, the important thing in uh, movies about like the Michael Hanukkah movies she's made, like the mm-hmm. piano teacher or mm-hmm. La Ceremonie where, you know, she's a murderess, you know, it's mm-hmm. like uh, the, the, she can go to these really darker, jagged, edgy places by kind of keeping this measure of irony in it, by keeping it a little funny, by keeping, you know, it's like, and it makes me want to go back and, because I just don't think of her performances as being that way. But as we talked about it, I'm like, you know, I could almost have a little mini Isabelle Huppert film festival <laughs> now where I'm like analyzing how she's um, injecting humor into these roles and yeah. things to come, which is here. Uh, Mia Hansen loves kind of tribute to her mother who was basically you know abandoned by her father late in their marriage mm-hmm. and had to kind of pick herself pick herself up off the ground rebuild and move on i mean it's uh, it's another incredibly strong you know female performance from Uber and in this case one where um she finds humor in it but it's not you know kind of a sexually transgressive you know uh, woman like we've seen in so many other of her movies yeah. this is a this is an academic intellectual and she's great in that role as well. You know. And speaking of strong female performances, we have Amy Adams in Arrival, which uh, I'll be speaking with Amy shortly after this. Uh, you weren't able to see the film, but uh, I'll just comment briefly about it. I, I, it's thoughtful sci-fi, but what's, what's amazing to me about Denis Villeneuve is 
he elevates material off the page in, in ways I think few filmmakers do lately because the scripts he's worked from, in my opinion, have been lacking. But what he does as an atmosphere, with atmosphere as a filmmaker is something to behold. And what he does with the score, with Johan Johansson's score and Arrival, just as they did in Sicario, which was a score that scared the crap out of me, just the, the, the foreboding of it. Uh, what what they do together in Arrival is really fascinating, and Amy is really uh, interesting in the movie because there are themes of parenting, and it hits you in an emotional place. And as a new father, it, it's it's I'm seeing things through that lens a lot lately. So it's uh, for that it's it's fascinating. And then she's also in Nocturnal Animals, which is not at the festival, but is uh, that played Venice and uh, will be in Toronto. So she's got a busy fall going on. I'd be curious to know if uh, with uh, Arrival, it's a case like Sicario where the role wasn't necessarily, you know, written or intended or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I haven't read the short story, you know, for a woman. And yet uh, I love that we just have so many great actresses out there. I love that there are more movies being seen where they're leading them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The uh, there are a couple other just really great performances I won't go into great detail, but it's worth mentioning Richard Gere in this movie Norman, the yep. moderate rise and tragic fall of a New York fixer. Uh, I just think Richard Gere is uh, giving some of the best work in the last few years at the you know tail end of a of a career that started out kind of as matinee idol almost kind of mm-hmm. you know, and it's like uh, this is you know, another terrific performance, and then. Uh, and then Brian Cranston, who we all love for good reasons, is finally kind of like getting the acclaim thanks to Breaking Bad that you mm-hmm. know he deserves. Uh, is it basically pulls off a one man show in Wakefield? This yep. movie where you know he basically holes up in the attic of his garage outside his own home and spies on his family for a year. Um, mm-hmm. I mean he's uh, he's narrating the whole thing. The whole thing is seen through his eyes. It's uh, if. And I and I realize watching the movie, it's like this character is a reprehensible human being, <laughs> who if it weren't Brian Cranston playing it, you know, it's like uh, the it just it would be a totally different experience, you know. Yeah, uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up right there, man. Unfortunately, there's obviously so much we could discuss beyond uh, like the tributes. Uh, Amy Adams had a tribute. Uh, Casey Affleck had a tribute, and was here with Manchester by the Sea, which is an amazing film. Pablo Lorraine, the filmmaker, had a tribute, but. You did a good job of explaining what Telluride is to everyone, and uh, I think uh, if anyone's thinking about coming here, they should just pull the trigger because it's the best film film festival I've ever been to. Agreed. I mean, this is the film festival. If if I lost my job tomorrow, I'd still be coming to this one. All the other ones are, you know, industry overrun, and here it's film lovers, the best films you can find, you know. Absolutely. We'll stick around for Amy Adams, everyone. We'll be back with that in just a moment. story beyond your life like the day they arrived what happens now they arrive oh my god how do we clarify their intentions i go back in well i guess i don't need to tell you you're putting yourself at risk now that's a proper introduction i need everybody working on this i feel like everything that happens comes down to the two of us 
I know what it is. What does it say? Offer weapon. Welcome back, everyone. We are still in Telluride, and I am now with Amy Adams. Thank you for being with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We're here to talk about, you have two films hitting uh, the festivals this fall. One is Nocturnal Animals. The other is uh, Arrival, which is playing Telluride. And uh, you're fresh from Venice, where Nocturnal premiered. Yes. I guess I shouldn't say fresh, because... No. Wait, what are you <laughs> that's saying? Quite, that's quite, well, that's quite, that's quite the trip. I mean, it's... It is, yeah. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call me fresh this morning, either. <laughs> I think everyone can agree on that. You had been there before, though, right, for the festival? I hadn't. Oh, you didn't go with no. the master. Okay. I didn't, no, I didn't go with the master. I was doing a, a musical in New York at the time. What did you think? It was so much fun. It was sort of like... The, everything that you fantasize about like on on the like sort of glamour side of things mm-hmm. as an actress um when you're growing up but um but it was also their celebration of film and, and the audiences were amazing but it was it was kind of surreal to be honest yeah yeah and especially probably to go from like the red carpet of the lido to the patagonia aware of of telluride strikingly different environments it is this it this feels like coming home though this is yeah. closer to my actual personality and the, the sort of the way i think it is coming home because i'm from colorado so mm-hmm. this feels very very uh, welcoming and and homey for which me. part of colorado castle rock oh okay yeah. It's a beautiful state. It's yeah. probably my favorite state, actually. I, I could live here easily. Can we just move everything <laughs> to Colorado? Like, if we all just started going, maybe maybe we could, like... Maybe we get everybody over here. Exactly. There's enough land, I think, to go around. Yeah. Well, uh, you're here also receiving a tribute, which is... Uh, you know, I think Telluride is interesting because they don't really necessarily cling to, like, a lifetime achievement vibe. And that's mm-hmm. very evident in, especially this year's 3U and Casey Affleck and Pablo Lorraine. They will often go for people who might be in their prime. But uh, nevertheless, was the idea of a tribute kind of daunting to you at this stage in your career? Um, it is. I mean, it's it's always an honor, and it, it's always... Um it's it's one of those things to look at your work as a collection is very odd. I don't do that very often, or don't unless there is a tribute or something like that. So it, it's interesting to sort of see a collection of of your work put together in that way, and and uh, kind of see the evolution, kind of your life play out in front of you in a strange way. Did you have any epiphanies watching that happen? Um, that I'm really excited to be kind of where I am in my career, and and kind of with the roles that are becoming available to me as I uh, age mm-hmm. it's it's been it's been really um, really exciting mm-hmm. actually and I love the roles that I did but granted I'm not going to be able to it's it was wonderful to do those at that, at that time like playing the innocence and playing sort mm-hmm. of these things were but now getting to play people um, who are you know to, to evolve with the characters that I'm getting offered is, is really fun. Yeah, that's kind of, that kind of leads into my next question, which is, I think many people were introduced to you through Junebug, which was 11 years ago now. If, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can believe that or if it feels like longer or shorter or what. Oh, gosh. It looks it looks like a lot longer when you look at the right now. I'm kidding. Like, wow, 11 years is really... No, it's, uh, no, it's, it's a lot. It's been, it's been really... A lot has happened in 11 years now that I... That's amazing. Well, I was going to ask yeah. you, how, how do you think you've changed uh, just as a person, specifically as an artist, since that stage in your career and now? And I'm a lot less self-conscious. Yeah. I'm so much... I, I'm, not, I'm not as... Um, I think I was self-conscious as a human being, and now I just feel more comfortable. And um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm less interested. I still care what people think about me. It's always going to be a part of my personality. But um, my journey is not... I, I feel like I've gotten to a place where my journey can't be about sort of trying to meet expectations. Mm-hmm. And uh, that has really helped in my work. I feel like I get to um, explore in a totally different way because I'm not... Um, I don't feel tied or bound by expectations like I used to. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really freeing and, and makes work really a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. I just want to let everyone know in case they think they're losing their mind. The droning you might hear in the background is the gondola, which Amy has a view <laughs> of right now. I do. Going across into Telluride. Uh, you know, I was just taking note of the filmmakers you've worked with in that stretch. There's some towering names, really. Uh, Mike Nichols, mm-hmm. Nora Ephron, Paul Thomas Anderson, Spike Jones, Tim Burton, David O. Russell. Uh who do you what, what kind of a filmmaker do you seek out or is it just if the script speaks to you that's like the main thing well it starts with the script yeah. absolutely but um but the filmmaker is key and a filmmaker can definitely help me define a role that maybe um you know isn't the protagonist um and, and so it's it's been I always feel like my job as an actress is to execute the vision of the director. Of course, I want to honor my character, but, you know, I, I, it, the character belongs to both of us, you know, mm-hmm. and, and belongs to the story. So I always want to honor that. And um, so for me, the director's, um, it's key, you know, and, and um, but kind of what I've looked for has also changed over the years in a director, yeah. you know. Well, with I hate to put you on the spot, but I would just Do love it. to hear. <laughs> I would just love to hear a story like a like a Mike Nichols is an amazing director story. Like some, did he dial you in in some way that really just amazed you, or has anything come to mind about that? Because obviously he's such a an amazing talent. In he this world, was so. just amazing. Yeah. He was really amazing. Um, yeah. Oh gosh, he. <laughs> He was awesome. I mean, it's funny because I can't think of an, an anecdote because really the experience of Mike Nichols wasn't, he can't be boiled down to like one thing he told me. It was sort of just watching him work, watching the way he perceived with an, his intelligence and his humor and um, uh, the joy he got watching actors. I remember him sitting behind the monitor and watching um, Tom and Philip do some scenes and just seeing the light in his eyes and um that was so inspiring to me that somebody can have this really full and very um celebrated career and just never lose that Mm -hmm. that was a huge thing i learned Mm -hmm. from from mike and yeah, that was t- uh, Charlie Wilson's War with Tom Hanks. Have yeah. you seen Tom around town? He's here I with have, Sully. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have seen him. Have Give you seen him. Sully? Oh, you, ha- you haven't, haven't had a Sully. chance no, to see I'm, some movies. I'm, yeah. I'm very excited. I do love this time of year when when we get to see all these films that mm-hmm. people hold for mm-hmm. for sort of this festival time, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a it's a really fun time for cinema, and, and there's so many I want to see, and so many I'm hearing great things about. So, are you scared of flying at all? Yes. Yeah, well. Don't see the film. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the reasons. Uh, <laughs> I am very scared of flying. Yeah. It's pretty gripping. And well, it ends Gave well. me back-to-back nightmares. It, it does uh, end well, but it got still it. got me. Yeah, I, I believe it. <laughs> uh, these two films, uh, actually, before I get into that, I did make a note here. I'm always curious about actors who work with Steven Spielberg early in their career. Yeah. And and if because, you know, he, he often works with, you know, character actors who might go on to 
you know their own level of stardom and it, a lot of people have worked with him early in their in their early stages mm-hmm. basically and i'm always curious if there's anything that they recall that specifically they retained that was just like they've they've managed to maintain throughout their career because of working with him is there anything that comes to mind yeah it's actually it's funny because when you said the thing about mike nichols i do have one thing that happened with steven that has stayed with me i was doing a scene that ultimately didn't end up in the movie but it was a scene um where i was meant to like you know it's written like tears spring to eyes and whenever i read that like it's always, especially at that time and in that film with those actors, I was like, what if I can't spring tears to my eyes? So I got really heady about it and we were doing it and it felt really good, but it just wasn't, I wasn't connecting without, uh, again, because I had expectations and I was worried about that. It was blocking sort of my emotional connection. And like Stephen could see that and he came up to me and he just looked at me very gently and touched my head and he said, you're using this. And then he touched my chest and he says, use this. Hmm. And so he got me out of my head and into my heart. And that's something whenever I'm tired, I'm emotional, and arrival always wrecks me when I have <laughs> to <laughs> present it. Um, but uh, that's something I've kept with me. Yeah. Whenever I'm struggling, I, I, I just try to work from the heart. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to work from your head. It's a technical craft. Mm-hmm. But sometimes working from my head has gotten in my way mm-hmm. and especially when I'm in my head about how I'm feeling and yeah. not how the character is meant to feel yeah. well the heart is key you gotta put human emotion absolutely. into the, the, the part so absolutely I think he's underrated for how he works with the actors frankly he's so great with actors yeah. he kept me right in there um, with with uh, Leonardo and Tom at a very early point in my career where I really didn't have the confidence yeah uh, uh, you know, and, and the the time after that when I didn't work was because of that crisis of confidence. So, mm. working with him built my confidence up during that period of time. Yeah, to be able to uh, to be Brenda in that film. So, yeah. kind of surprising, honestly, that that Daniel Day Lewis was the first actor to win an Oscar for a Spielberg movie in Lincoln. Are you serious? Yeah, it took that long. Plenty of nominations along the years, but oh my gosh, I hadn't really put that together. Yeah, it's interesting. That's amazing. Yeah, he's he's very special. Well, you're working with two filmmakers here with Tom Ford and Denis Villeneuve, who are, uh, I think, masters at building atmosphere in yes. their films. And uh, given that similarity in their work, I guess, uh, I'm curious if there's anything that was similar about the filmmakers to you. Because they seem like strikingly different people. They frankly. are strikingly different <laughs> but people. As they work. And both really value, have a, have a really different way of working. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with Denis, the aesthetic sort of happens around you do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. the tone and stuff he creates is through uh an emotional connection mm-hmm. like it really is and and that way i guess it's similar in watching the two films i was struck that they both have this sense of tension and melancholy that sort of run through them and and um and yet they're very different films very different directors um but I think that the kind of what they had in common, at least in the making of these two films, was the emotional connection with the characters, mm-hmm. and it both the the films felt very personal to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's so funny. I'm so like in my characters when I work <laughs> that it's hard for me to think about what, what was what is their style. <laughs> um, Denis is like he he's basically it's like it's like a self-esteem boot camp like it's so great working with him because he thanks you deeply he's like i deeply thank you for that take <laughs> i love your work so much like he's so sweet that and, keeps uh, you up 
oh my gosh <laughs> it's like well the problem is is then you get greedy and then like he'll do something and he's like we have what we need and you're like no no we have to go back you need to deeply love it you need to thank me and uh, spoils you yeah it spoils you and then it, you, want, um, you want it all the time you yeah. do you're like wait 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 where's the deeply love um yeah it's fun and then tom um Tom, it was interesting because a lot of what I did in the film was very, I did it alone Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of what's happening is happening in her mind Mm -hmm. as she's reading the book. It's it's her imagination of what's happening in the book. And then it's happening also in flashback while Mm -hmm. she's remembering her relationship. So it was really important for me that the director... um, well, that the director did let me breathe. You know, mm-hmm. I never felt like he was in a hurry to get to a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom allowed, he was so patient, and he just let the camera roll on what, you know, some directors would be like, oh, she's just thinking and reading, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, But he trusted that I had done the work, and that I had, you know, and I had a, a connection with this character, and, and he was fantastic because sometimes he would read the story to me as he was going in his Tom Ford voice. <laughs> Tony approaches the car, and I'm like, oh, just Tom Ford could just read me anything, <laughs> and it would just sound like it was like the phone sensual and, and, and glamorous. And um, but he he was really wonderful to work with. Yeah, yeah. Denny yeah. loves it here. I'm, I'm, I always expect him to come here with his film. He is heartbroken. Uh, was he not able to come? He's not here. Oh, I didn't realize that. No, he's oh. not here. He um he's he's directing Blade Runner, oh, so that's he right. is in Budapest, I think. Um, I bet he is heartbroken because he loves it here. He loves it, and he kept saying, "Please have such a good time." <laughs> My French accent is bad, so I hope no one's offended. Um, <laughs> so sorry uh, to our French listeners. Yeah, so Marianne is safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about Arrival. Um, you know, I have a feeling I will be. Uh, saying this to my guests on this show a lot this year because I'm a new father and Aww. so I see everything now through that lens yeah and it's, it's a difficult movie to talk about without spoiling so just to, to be light about it it, it is uh, it, it is a movie that deals very emotionally emotionally with parenting and I'm I just imagine that when you read the script as a mother yourself that leapt out at you yeah so could you talk about a little bit about that that, that was the thing that first got me into the script because in the first 15 pages uh, is this mother's journey. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, the way it was presented mm-hmm. um, was really devastating. Yeah. And, and then to sort of put that as the lead into a sci-fi film was kind of different and daring. And I know it was based on a short story at that time I knew have you read that, by the way? I did. I, I read it like so long ago. Someone was talking about the details, and I thought that my brain is so feeble after having my <laughs> daughter. Like information just falls out as it. It's like there's only so much information. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there are some differences, but the core uh, the core of the story is there, and that, and that it is a woman's journey and a mother's journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, yeah, is I re- there. When I, I read that short story a few weeks back, and I was like, how did they make this into a movie? I know. Because it's it's very heady stuff, and uh gives you a lot of room to obviously go in different directions, which the movie does. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that very key element of, of uh, 
we're dancing around it is what we're doing well, you know we what I mean it's, you, it's very difficult talking to talk about, about a movie that you can't actually talk about <laughs> is has been challenging but I bet but it's a it's a good experiment in like how we communicate speaking like I think Louise would be interested in our choice of words when discussing <laughs> yeah um, but but De- but Denis even with all the the um, sort of um, scientific and and uh, political tones that the film takes on always would say like anytime there would be discussions about this or that he would always just say look whatever happens with that this is a mother's journey this is Louise's story so he never lost sight of that Mm -hmm. he never lost sight of it I should probably start stop doing imitations of him. I can't help it because it was so much fun and there was so much miscommunication on a film about communication. Yeah. There was a lot of miscommunication as I talk really fast sometimes, especially if I'm trying to figure something out. Because normally I'm trying to figure it out myself, so I just do it aloud. And Denis would be like, um, Amy, I'm going to ask you to stop because I have not been listening to you now for about a minute. I can't understand you. <laughs> It's, it's, it's Which a, I loved so much instead of just pretending to sure. listen to me, Amy, I'm going to tell you to stop talking. <laughs> it's a fun impression. I think you should work with Herzog next so you can rock <laughs> can one I of those. Start on that. <laughs> yeah. I was not to name drop, but Kenneth Lonergan has an amazing Werner Herzog. Oh, uh, name drop. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's an amazing uh, impression. I wanted to talk a little bit, you know, one of the filmmakers I mentioned there was David O. Russell. And Mm -hmm. uh, you're on the record about the difficulty of working on American Hustle and working with David. I'm just curious if that means you're not interested in working with David again. Um, I'm kind of a never say never kind of person, but not currently. It's Mm -hmm. just what it requires of me. It just, it's hard for me to then um, kind of be the mom I want to be Mm because I can't give that much energy and emotion to... And I'm I'm really invested on set, so it's mm-hmm. not as though it's not something I'm interested in doing on other sets. But but it, the way he works just requires a different um, part of me that I I just don't have yeah. to give right now. But that's not to say never. Well, it's good it's that you just, can keep an eye on that too. Yeah, but. and I mean maybe I don't know. Maybe since I've come out on record, he's not going to want to work with me. Yeah. So maybe it's maybe it's sort of a, a non-issue. Maybe um, he, he seems to have had his tiffs with actors that he's worked with. Yeah, again, I don't think so. that, I don't think I'm the first person, yeah. and probably not the last. But um, but he does create wonderful characters for women, and I really value that. And he's given me a lot of opportunity to sort of change people's expectations mm-hmm. of me. Expectations, that's that word. Mm-hmm. Um, but to change people's perception and expectations of me, and and I really appreciate that. So I don't, in any way, um, you know. I, that what happened doesn't take away from how much I value what he provided for me. Sure. Uh, in in opportunity, not only to work with him, but to work with Christian twice, and to work with the amazing cast that I got to work with. So, mm-hmm. uh, gratitude overrides any sort of other thing. Well, you know what's interesting about that is it it just got me thinking about the way we perceive difficult male directors and the way we perceive difficult female directors. Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, in some ways with, with male directors that are difficult, that's considered part of the charm of their genius. Yeah, but it's not just in directing, it's not just in acting, and it's Anything, not just in Hollywood. Sure. Like, just in humanity, the way we view difficult males versus the way we view, diff- if it's difficult, complicated. Yeah. Let's go with complicated. Or exacting, <laughs> or just, yeah. Challenging, yeah. yeah. Uh, the way we perceive women and, and men, that's the, that type of personality. It's its not just a Hollywood issue. Mm-hmm. So, But, yeah, I mean, 
it, it wouldn't, I don't think it would be accepted, that kind of behavior. Accepted how? Oh, I, by, I don't by, think by a woman uh, yeah, would, yes, would yes, uh, yes. yeah. I think there would be, it would be different. Yeah. But that's not just, to, that's happens anywhere. Indeed. Yeah. It's just interesting in the, in the realm of art because uh, that, quote, difficulty becomes a, a part of the fabric of what makes a great male director's film great. And then maybe a, an exacting yeah. or difficult female director might not get hired as much. And it's just unfortunate. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's very unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, this giant DC movie universe you're a part of. Yeah. These, these movies are such a huge part of the business They nowadays. really have become, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, earlier this year, Batman versus Superman, it, it took, you know, a criti- critical thrashing, I think it's fair we to say. It took a hit. Yeah. We'll but when, come back up, you know? Well, I was going to ask. I mean, when I saw that, I was like, you guys were going back to shoot, like, the next month or the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I don't know if you were there from the, from the beginning on Justice League. but No, I wasn't. When you were there, how was morale? Was everything, everybody's yeah, good? Yeah, I mean, everyone's really excited. It's it's a totally different film. Mm-hmm. They're introducing a lot of different characters. And, um, you know, it's funny because my husband went back and watched the Ultimate Edition and he was like, oh, he was so mad. He's like, why didn't they reduce the movie? But it was a longer version. Yeah. I don't know. Have you gone back and watched it? I haven't. I haven't yet, uh, but I've talked to Chris Terrio about that, actually. The, yeah. The screenwriter, and there's a lot of... Lot, lot more information in that version of the story. Yeah, sure. there is. But um, I, I know it's one. Of, it's one of those things. I mean, you want everybody. You want there to be sort of this mutual respect and and for the films you do. And when that doesn't hit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I it does, you know, hit a hit a soft spot for everybody involved. And you know, I I've just felt for Zach. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Zach's like the nicest person ever, and I, just to see him kind of talked about like that was really hard for me because he's really such a respectful director, you mm-hmm. know. How does he work with you as an actor? Because uh, he's an interesting director. He's he's very great with iconography, especially and in, mm-hmm. in, in, in just getting an amazing image. But working with actors, and especially working with actors when you guys, well, not you, but you know, they're all wearing these suits these superhero suits and yeah, stuff but yeah. th- it, it, just talk about how he works with you as an actor because we've talked about completely different filmmakers in well, that way it's but interesting because like it's it's hard to any good director is going to change the way they direct to some degree to work with different actors because every actor has a different way of working and mm-hmm. so I found you know my f- my favorite directors to work with kind of can they definitely have their style and their way of working with actors, mm-hmm. but they respect an actor's process, and Zach's one of those people. So depending on what an actor needs, um, Zach kind of adjusts. Like For me, I need very technical notes. Mm-hmm. Like the emotion of what's happening with Lois is like, I, I love doing that, but sometimes I'm so internal, Like which is what I love about doing like Arrival, mm-hmm. is because it's so internal. Um, that sometimes that doesn't really play when you've got like explosions behind you. And <laughs> yeah, sure. so he's really good at like at kind of, um, we've got kind of a dialogue now where he'll go, I do it again, but like, um, I really want to see it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> got it. Okay. Got it. I know what I'm doing. That's fun. I'm thinking it, uh, instead of living it. Um, but he's really fun to work with. And, and again, he's, he's, he's like everybody's biggest cheerleader on set. And, you know, I, I want for him to, you know, sort of, I, I would love for him to, uh, 
don't know, just to kind of get, you know, for people to, to see how special he is, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I have for you, uh, I'm just curious where you want to go from here. I mean, this having this tribute now, uh, you know, again, like I said, it's not like it's lifetime achievement. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like you're wrapping things up yeah. here. But are you are you curious uh, about directing at all, or do you want to produce more, or do you, are you content to just remain in front of the camera? I mean, directing right now, I like the idea of directing because I really love story and I love character. And but um, I think the again the time requirement um, for for how I want to parent, I just I can't uh, I can't parent the way I want to. Not to say other people can't, because there are a lot of people who can do it and do it very successfully, but. Um, for me, I'm, I'm sort of all or nothing kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I think directing would take a little too much at this current time, but I'm definitely, I'm starting to work on producing and finding projects. Um, and it's been really fun to be a part of sort of the development process and to, to see, um, you know, how, how things work. I mean, as an actor, you're only given so much information, you know, (laughs) probably not all of the information ever, which is frustrating. So as I sort of become more of a grown up, I want to be involved. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to understand the creative decisions behind the editing. Yeah. Like, why did you choose? Because now I just watch something. I'm like, oh, that was cut. That's strange. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'd love to understand the whys. I'd love to see sort of the creative process from the beginning to the end um, and be involved and, and, uh, as as sort of I become more confident in my voice as a storyteller, I'd I'd like I'd like to um, contribute a little bit more. Great. And, yeah. Well, I so wish you luck go. in that. Thank you. And enjoy your time here in Telluride. I hope you get to see some movies. I will. I don't think I'm, my my family's up here because I'm from Colorado, so I, I kind of want to spend time with them. But this is I'll get plenty to see of trails the to hike over here. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe and check back next week when I'll be talking to American pastoral star and director Ewan McGregor. Again, I'm Chris Tapley, and you've been listening to Playback at Variety. Variety.